I wonder if you've ever had a time when you felt uh, unwanted, undesirable, where you felt uninvited. When I was in first grade, I was uh, pretty popular, no surprise. Hey. <laughs> but I, I was not the most popular boy in my class. Uh, his name was Tommy Gardner. Uh, why he was more popular than me, I, I just, I don't know. I, I assume the girls thought he could supply them with vegetables and flowers. Tommy Gardner, yeah. And, uh, I don't know. And so, uh, there was this girl in our class named Amy, and for her birthday, uh, Amy had a sleepover party. She invited all the girls in our class and Tommy Gardner. Tommy came running up to me. He said, are you invited to Amy's birthday party? I said, no. Are you invited to Amy's birthday party? He said, yes. Now, at this point, you have to ask, what kind of first grade girl invites a boy to a sleepover party? I, I don't know. It, it certainly makes you wonder about her character and moral purity. <laughs> but she did. She invited him. And Tommy Gardner accepted the invitation. And what, what, what kind of first grade boy wants to go to a girl's sleepover party? I, I don't know. But I want to go too. <laughs> but, but I couldn't. Because I, I was uninvited. You know, so many people have come to a point where they believe that if there is a God, if he's offering relationship, if he brings some people to heaven when they die, he wouldn't for me. His attitude towards me would be in the words of Alanis Morissette, but you, you're not allowed. You are uninvited. Perhaps you feel that way. Perhaps you feel that way because at some point you walked away from God or, or because of things you've done. And, and so you assume that you don't meet the standard of moral purity that must be necessary to gain the approval of a perfect God. And if you feel that way, I have really good news for you. About 2,000 years ago, Jesus uh, came to earth, started walking around claiming to be God. And people weren't sure whether to believe that or not, but they assumed that if he was God, he would be for the Pharisees. The Pharisees were the religious leaders at the time, and they taught everyone that God was for them, that God was for people who lived sinless lives, and they told everyone that they lived sinless lives. Now, the, the truth is that they were not sinless, but li they liked to, to think they were, and they acted like they were, and, and they said that to be acceptable to God, you had to follow the rules, uh, follow the religious traditions, follow their ritualistic ordinances for purity, and completely keep yourself separate from anyone who was impure or who was sinful. And it quickly became obvious that there was a problem because Jesus was hanging around with prostitutes. Now, there was never any accusations of, sex, of sexual impropriety. Jesus was never alone with prostitutes, but Jesus was friends with prostitutes, and, and the prostitutes wanted to be with Jesus. If the Pharisees' approach to God was right, oh man, that, that should have been something Jesus was ashamed of and, and kept hidden from everyone else. But, but Jesus didn't downplay it. In fact, he kind of shoved it right in the face of the Pharisees. Like there was this one time when Jesus said to some of the religious leaders, we'll put the verses on the screen for you, in Matthew 21, he said, truly I tell you, 
The tax collectors and the prostitutes are entering the kingdom of God ahead of you. For John came to show you the way of righteousness, and you did not believe him. But the tax collectors and the prostitutes did. And even after you saw this, you did not repent and believe him. And so some people started to think, wow. Okay, so, so Jesus is a friend of prostitutes. So I, I guess that must mean that he's not really God because we know that God is not for the prostitutes. I mean, the Pharisees taught us that. And, and this whole situation came to a head one night at a Pharisee's house. Uh, Luke chapter 7. We're going to be in Luke 7 for a while, uh, starting in verse 36. It says, now one of the Pharisees, so these religious leaders, one of the Pharisees invited Jesus to have dinner with him. So he, Jesus, went to the Pharisee's house and reclined at the table. So uh, this dinner party had a bunch of Pharisees and Jesus. Uh, Before dinner, everyone would have gone through a ritualistic cleansing as they did before every meal to make sure that they were purified from anything that might have defiled them from their time out in the world that day. Now, as you read the story, try not to imagine a a dinner party that you might go to today, because back then, uh, this type of dinner party would have involved hours of discussing uh, deep issues like politics and social trends and especially theology. The meal would take place in an outer room in the house, and there would typically be a porch circling the outer room. The door of the house would be left open so that the people from the town could all come and sit on the porch and listen in on the dinner conversation. They they didn't have radio, they didn't have internet, they didn't have TV, so they they, they couldn't stay home and watch The Real Housewives of Jerusalem. And so getting to to sit and listen in on the dinner conversation, like that was their entertainment. And it was probably a very interesting night out on the porch. It was typical for the Pharisees to gather for a meal to talk about God and theology. And and the crowd who would typically gather to listen were those who liked to align themselves with the Pharisees and were interested, therefore, in what they had to say. But on that night, Jesus was also at the dinner party, and Jesus, like the Pharisees, claimed to represent God, but he had a very different fan base. Uh, Garth Brooks might say that he had friends in low places. (laughs) In fact, uh, one of the Pharisees, uh, one of the ways that they would put Jesus down is that they like to say that Jesus was a friend of sinners, but Jesus didn't take it as an insult he would just kind of smile and explain, yeah, that's, that's exactly why I've come. He came for people who were far from God, who were messed up, down and out, broken, and in need of help and, and healing. And he would tell them, he would tell everyone that God was for them. And so out on the porch that night, uh, listening in on this dinner conversation, in addition to the self-righteous fans of the Pharisees, there was probably a big group of very sinful fans of Jesus. And what happens next shocks everyone. Uh, Verse 37. A woman in that town who lived a sinful life learned that Jesus was eating at the Pharisee's house. So she came there with an alabaster jar of perfume. Okay, the, the, the words a woman who lived a sinful life in that town were almost certainly code back then for she was the town prostitute. And she was uninvited, not only to this party, but everywhere she went. 
because of her lack of character and moral purity, because she was the kind of girl who invited boys over for sleepovers. So the the town prostitute learned that Jesus was eating at the Pharisee's house, and she shows up uninvited. She she made her way across town, walked up and through this crowded porch, and and the people on the porch, they knew who she is, and so they're thinking, whoa, what, what is she doing here? But she walks right through the crowd and into the house. Absolutely shocking. And from the perspective of the Pharisees, this despised woman entering the room would have destroyed the ritualistic purity that they had established for the evening. And she knew that. She knew that that's how they would view her, that they would think that her presence amongst them just ruined the night. But it didn't matter. She could not help herself. Verse 38, as she stood behind him, Jesus, at his feet weeping, she began to wet his feet with her tears. Then she wiped them with her hair, kissed them, and poured perfume on them. So uh, she had walked in carrying the most precious thing she owned. Uh, The prized possession for a woman back then uh, would have been an alabaster jar of perfume. Uh, This was a bottle with uh, no handles and a very long neck. And to get the perfume out, you had to break the neck off. So this was not like your daily perfume. It was more like your savings account. It could only be used once. And this had been her treasure, but something had changed. Jesus was now her treasure. And to show him that, she walks up, takes the jar, breaks it open, and pours the contents out on Jesus' feet realizing that Jesus' feet are now wet, not only from the perfume, but also from her tears because she she can't seem to stop crying. She she wants to to dry Jesus' feet, and not having a towel, she let down her hair and starts using her hair to wipe his feet. In that time, uh, Jewish women did not unbind their hair in public. It, It was considered scandalous to do so, almost pornographic in their culture. But this woman, she just had this complete disregard for the opinions of anyone in that room except for Jesus. Her her sole focus is on Jesus. And and in that moment, as she's wiping his feet with her hair, everyone's focus is now on Jesus. Like, what is he going to do with this? And, And for sure, the Pharisees definitely are focused on Jesus. In fact, we're told in the next verse what the host Pharisee was thinking. Verse 39, when the Pharisee who had invited him saw this, he said to himself, if this man were a prophet, he would know who is touching him and what kind of woman she is, that she is a sinner. The Pharisee assumed Jesus didn't realize that this woman was a prostitute and that he must not be God as he claimed or even a prophet because if he were, he would know who she was and she would not, he would not allow her anywhere near him because the Pharisee believed godly people, religious people, sinless people don't hang around sinful people. And they would certainly never, never allow themselves to be touched by a sinner. Basically, this guy is thinking, Jesus, you're not who you claim to be, are you? And I love how Jesus responds to this because the Pharisee is thinking, you don't know people the way someone from God would know people. And Jesus basically responds, oh yeah? 
Well, I know you. In fact, I just read your mind. Let me show you. Starting in verse 40. Jesus answered him, Simon, I have something to tell you. Tell me, teacher, he said. Two men owed money to a certain moneylender. One owed him 500 denarii and the other 50. Neither of them had the money to pay him back, so he canceled the debts of both. Now, which of them will love him more? Simon replied, I suppose the one who had the bigger debt canceled. You have judged correctly, Jesus said. Then he turned toward the woman and said to Simon, do you see this woman? I came into your house. You did not give me any water for my feet, but she wet my feet with her tears and wiped them with her hair. You did not give me a kiss, but this woman from the time I entered has not stopped kissing my feet. You did not put oil on my head, but she has poured perfume on my feet. Therefore, I tell you, her many sins have been forgiven, for she loved much. But he who has been forgiven little loves little. Then Jesus said to her, your sins are forgiven. The other guests began to say among themselves, who is this who even forgives sins? And the reason they asked that is because they knew only God can forgive sins. And so when Jesus says to this woman, your sins are forgiven, Really, he's claiming in that moment to be God. Then verse 50, Jesus said to the woman, your faith has saved you, go in peace. Man, what a story. And reading it, you've got to ask, why did this woman come and do this? What Jesus says, it's because she had been forgiven much. She did it to express her gratitude. Apparently, this woman, uh, maybe earlier that day or the day before, had met Jesus or had heard him teaching, had heard him speaking, and his message of love and forgiveness. And, and it makes me so curious. I wonder what she heard Jesus say. What did she hear Jesus say that led to this dramatic reaction? Well, Luke, who shares this story, he doesn't tell us what Jesus taught that day or the day before in that town, but we might still be able to figure it out. Earlier in the same chapter of the book of Luke, we're told that some disciples of John the Baptist, who was another spiritual leader at the time, had shown up to ask Jesus whether he really was the Messiah. And in chapter 11 of the book of Matthew, which is one of the other gospels, one of the other books that take us through the life of Jesus, we also read about that same incident when John the Baptist's disciples showed up and, and asked him that question. And so it was the same exact day. And Matthew does happen to tell us what Jesus was preaching in that town that day. So imagine uh, this woman this, the, the town prostitute, she, she's probably standing in the back of the crowd. She, she's looking at Jesus, listening to Jesus, th this man who claims to represent God, a, a man who was obviously so different from any man she had ever met. And then he speaks, and Jesus says this, Matthew 11, verses 28 and 29. He says, come to me, all you who are weary and burdened and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and humble in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. Can you imagine 
how that must have sounded to her. Who knows how she had gotten where she was, what had happened to her. I mean, the vast majority of women in the sex industry today were abused as children, often sexually abused. Maybe maybe that was her story. I I don't know. I, I don't know how she had gotten there, but she had gotten there, and she had grown up into a life of condemnation, being condemned by others, and I would assume probably condemning even herself. I mean, she didn't grow up wanting to be a prostitute. No little girl grows up dreaming about that. No, no one grows up planning on being ashamed of themselves, of their sin. They just, they just end up there. And she had. And, and she thought she would always stay that way. She, she would always be uninvited, unwanted, undesirable, except by men who just wanted to use her. So who would ever help her out of this life? You know, the, the only response she ever received from anyone was condemnation, but that certainly didn't change her. P- pointing out her sins did not lead her away from her sins. Shame? Shame did not set her free. And so she thought, man, this is my life and this is the way it will always be. But but now standing in front of her, here's Jesus who claims to be God and he's saying, come to me. Be yoked to me. A yoke was an instrument that uh, connected two animals. Uh, And so it was like Jesus was saying, listen, I want to have a a connected relationship with you. I am gentle and I am humble in heart. I will not condemn you. What I'm offering you is forgiveness. And what I can do is I can set you free. You are not defined by your sins. You are not captive to your sin. You can be free. I can give you what your soul needs, rest. And I can give you new life. And in that moment, she realized that it didn't matter. For the first time in her life, it didn't matter who she was, what she had done, what anyone else thought of her. God was for her. And she was invited And she said, yes. And she accepted his offer of forgiveness. And later that day, she hears that Jesus is a dinner guest at Simon the Pharisee's house. And so she grabbed her most valuable treasure and she heads over and she walks in and she breaks this jar, perhaps symbolizing her life, which is truly a person's most treasured possession, and which her life had been broken, but what was now being put back together and made whole. And, and Jesus explains to Simon that the reason she did that was because of her gratitude, because she had been forgiven much. And Jesus makes the point that Simon, who falsely feels superior and who falsely considers himself sinless, well, he doesn't feel a need to be forgiven. And so he would never understand an extravagant act of love like this. And to make sure that no one missed the point, he turns to the woman, smiles at her, and says in verses 48 and 50, he says, your sins are forgiven. Your faith has saved you. Go in peace. Only God 
can forgive sins. And, and so by saying your sins are forgiven, Jesus is now just reasserting his claim to be God. Can, can you imagine what went through all the people's minds as they heard this? Like out on the porch, shock must have went through the crowds because inside were the Pharisees and a prostitute. And it was very obvious that Jesus was for the prostitute. What they were hearing is that Jesus was basically saying that God was for the prostitutes, not the Pharisees. And in the house was the prostitute, broken pieces of jar all over the floor around her, still not able to, to stop crying, using her hair as a sham wow to dry Jesus' feet. And, and what she's hearing is that her broken life is being made whole. Jesus was offering her a new life, no, no longer living a life of condemnation, but living a life of peace, peace with other people, peace with herself, and most importantly, peace with God. And it, it is a beautiful story. And it's also a relevant story. It's so relevant to you and to me. And you may question that because probably you're, you're probably not a prostitute. Or, or are you? Back in the Old Testament, there was this uh, guy named Hosea. Hosea was a very godly man. He was kind of, kind of like a pastor. He was also single. And, and as most single people do, he had probably prayed that God would give him the perfect wife. One day, God uh, shocks him by speaking to him, and he tells Hosea that he has picked a girl for him. The bad news is that her name is Gomer. <laughs> The worst news is that she's a prostitute. Hosea's confused. But, but God insists, it, and Hosea obeys. He, he goes down to the red light district. He pays Gomer's pimp so he can take her home to be his wife. Well, surprisingly, th things seem to, to go well. Hosea actually ends up falling in love with Gomer. He, he gives his heart to her. But, but one day, Gomer disappears. And then Hosea learns the heartbreaking news that she has gone back to turning tricks. Hosea must have wondered, what, what, what do those men offer her that I don't? Why would she turn away from me for them? And, and Hosea looks up to the heavens and he's like, why God? What, what now, God? And God speaks to Hosea again. And he tells Hosea to go back down to the red light district again to buy her back from the pimp a second time and to bring her home to love her again as his wife. Hosea is confused and he demands to know why, why? And God says, because that's how I love you. Because that's how I love you. See, God had Hosea serve as a living object lesson. Hosea represented God, and Gomer represented us. We're the prostitutes. We've all turned our backs on God and sought the love and the fulfillment that only God can offer in all kinds of other places. And the lesson is that even if you've turned away from God, even if you've done so repeatedly, even if you are far from perfect, God's love for you is still perfect. And even if 
you've been against God. God is for you, and you're invited. Now, some people, they really struggle to, to believe that, to accept that, to accept the idea that God could love someone like them. Maybe you find it hard to believe that a, a perfect God could live, love an imperfect person like you. And I'll just say, man, I, I understand that. And I think Gomer would understand that. In fact, I, I wonder if the reason she left Hosea and went back to her old life is because she could never fully believe that he could love her. The prostitute who crashed the Pharisee's dinner party, she would understand that too. But when she met Jesus, everything changed. And I can tell you, when I met Jesus, everything changed. And my prayer for you is that if you haven't yet, you'll meet Jesus. And even if you have, still, you'll hear him say to you today, come to me, all you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and humble in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. Because if you really heard those words, man, everything would change for you. You would realize that you are loved much and, and you can be forgiven much and, and it will lead you to love him much. You would understand that God is for you and you are invited so you can go to God in peace. I told you how I was uninvited to Amy's first grade sleepover party. Uh, she invited only one boy. It was Tommy Gardner. I, I wanted to be un, uninvited. I wanted in. And so I wrote Amy a note in class. The note went something like this. It said, Dear Amy, heard about your party. I was talking to Tommy. He's glad you invited him, but he's the only boy you invited, and well, that's kind of weird for him. You know, being the only boy, since you only invited one boy, anyway, just thought you might want to know. And Amy wrote me a note back. It said, okay, you're invited. Yes! <laughs> Never underestimate the power of manipulation especially on unsuspecting first grade girls with poor or questionable moral character. <laughs> Listen, the good news is that you don't have to manipulate God into wanting you. You don't have to convince him that you're acceptable. You don't have to beg him to invite you because you're already invited. All you have to do is realize that God is for you and then just say yes. Say yes. And once you understand that, once you understand that you are an unfaithful adulterer in God's eyes, but he loves you anyway, and he invites you anyway, and when you say yes to that, you get this, this new passion in your life. Your passion becomes letting other people know, letting everyone know that God is for them and that they're invited. That passion led me six years ago to start a church in the heart of Sin City for, for sinners who didn't think God was for them. 
One night, a couple years ago, I was at a banquet for church planters in Orlando. When the banquet was over, somebody I knew came up to me and said, hey, there's this guy walking all around trying to figure out who you are. He's looking for you. And I was like, oh. And so he took me over to this guy, introduced me, and it turns out this guy's name was Jeff. He was a church planter, but also a professional chef. And he had heard about me through a friend who we had in common, and he had recently come to Las Vegas to meet with a wealthy business owner who didn't know that he was a pastor. And in the middle of their meeting, Jeff decided to mention the idea that he was a pastor, hoping that it might lead to a spiritual conversation. But when he said the word pastor, this guy said, oh, I hate church. Jeff was like, oh man, I'm, I'm, I'm so sorry. Why do you hate church? This guy said, well, I've always hated church, but now I have a new reason to hate church. Jeff said, oh man, what, what's that? The guy said, I hate church because I love prostitutes. Jeff realized this is, this is going to be an odd conversation. He said, he, he said why, why does your loving prostitutes make you hate church? The guy said, because my favorite prostitute started going to some church and they told her that God loved her and so she decided to stop being a prostitute, totally changed her life, uh, left Vegas, moved back home to start a new life. I hate church. (laughs) Jeff smiled. He said, by any chance you happen to know what church it was? The guy says, oh yeah, I do. She talked about it all the time. She kept trying to get me to go. It's this church called Verve. The the pastor's name is Vince Antonucci. (laughs) Jeff said, huh, I I actually happen to be friends with a guy who's a good friend of Vince Antonucci. And this guy says, I hate that guy. (laughs) 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 He, He may hate me, but God loves me. And, uh, and God loves his favorite prostitute <laughs> who quit being a prostitute. And someone had to let her know that she was invited. And man, I, I, I'm just so grateful that God used me in our church to, to do that. And learning that God was for her absolutely changed her life. I'm sure she had been condemned, maybe even had point, people point a finger at her and call her a sinner. <laughs> like, like she didn't already know that. But condemnation did not turn her life around. Love did. And when you realize God loves you, and it changes your life, and you realize that you need to share that love with others, and so you're invited, and who do you need to let know that they're invited? Let's pray for that. God, some of us in this room probably have uh, never realized that you love us. Not that you love, but that you love me, that you're for me, that I'm invited. But now we know. It may may be hard to get our minds around, but it's true. We know. And I I just thank you so much for loving us. And and I, I pray that you would help each one of us to say yes to your invitation to be forgiven and to have a relationship with you. God, would you help the rest of us to share that love with others, to to let everyone know that you are for everyone and that they're invited. And God, all this is only possible because of Jesus, so I thank you for him, and I pray in his name. Amen.